0: Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to two different places first. uh, Turn to Romans 15. Uh, We will get there uh, later on. Uh, And then once you get to Romans 15, mark that and turn back a book to Acts chapter 2, where we were uh, last week. Uh, And so, uh, Romans 15 and Acts 2. Uh, If you haven't been with us, we have been uh, in a series, uh, and I don't really want to call it a series because I think it's much more uh, than just a series for us as a church. I think it's a, a paradigm shift. It's a And really, it's a a change of a way of thinking or realigning, if you will. If you want to illustrate it with, like, your vehicle, sometimes you need a realignment so things are still making sure they're riding smoothly in the way that they're supposed to. Uh, Or if you think about a check engine light on a car, uh, some things that something's going on in the car you may not be able to see take it AutoZone, plug it in, and they can trace it back. That kind of a deal. Just check engine lights and, and really making sure as a church we are, uh, we are where we're supposed to be, head in the direction we're supposed to be, uh, which it forces us to ask some, some hard questions and some important questions. Uh, and so I'm hoping uh, really God has slowed me down a little bit this morning because what I realize is what I've been sharing with you over the past four weeks is something that I've been thinking about for the past year and a half to two years. Uh, So I can't expect necessarily for you to completely get on board 100%, uh, because I've been here for, like I said, the past year and a half, two years in this thought process. And so really slowing down a little bit. uh, And where we are as a church, and we've been using the word gospel-driven. That gospel-driven isn't new to—it isn't original to me. uh, And so I don't want to say that I came up with gospel-driven. That's not me at all. Uh, People are smarter than me. Uh, I'm thankful for people that are way smarter than me. But a guy named uh, Jared Wilson wrote a book called Gospel. Uh, driven church us as a staff we're reading it uh, there are a few other church people in the church church members that are reading it I encourage you uh, to read it as well uh, if you read through it you'll see a lot of the things that we've talked about uh, so far uh, and we're what we're really what it boils down to is understanding that the gospel of Jesus Christ um, it is where we spend a lot of times in first Corinthians fifteen verses one through four there understanding the gospel is much more it is but it is also much more than just a, a conversion it is, it is more than just a message we preach to get lost people found uh, it 's greater than that and actually it 's the most uh, substantial thing that a church could be built upon uh, and when it comes to uh, preaching the message that that the lost could be found but also the it's the same message that, uh, that the saved get sanctified by. It's the, it's the same message that, that, that encompasses the entirety of the believer's life. And it's, but it's not just the sermons we preach. When you look at the gospel, it is versatile into the whole experience uh, of the Christian. And so, when it comes to church, when it comes to ministries, it's not just the message we're preaching, it's the, it's the bedrock that everything we do springs from. Uh, it's versatile, it, it, it's, it's strong enough to, and when it comes to our Sunday morning worship service, when it comes to our ministries that we have on Wednesday nights, when it comes to small groups and, and our mission as a church and, and different things, That the gospel is where it is the bedrock of all of those things that through it, Uh, it it drives everything that we do. Uh, Last week we looked and how the gospel drives our worship service so on our Sunday morning if you will uh, this morning I want to talk about our community how the, how the gospel drives our community and next week I want to talk about how the gospel drives discipleship and, and really these, this week and next week are one sermon because I, I don't think you can separate community and discipleship biblically I think that, that discipleship truly happens in the context of, of community when we walk through scriptures. Uh, I think that uh, we oftentimes kind of separate those two things, like, you know, community is one thing, discipleship is another. Uh, but what we understand is that uh, discipleship happens, I think. It can happen in any setting, if you will, uh, but biblically designed in the context of community. So this morning, I want to talk about community. Like I said last week, really what we began to do is really uh, really flip the paradigm of thinking of church, especially uh, for the Western church, for the church in the United States of America, beginning to shift a paradigm uh, and begin to ask questions like, what is the church for? Who is the church for? Uh, who's the, when we're here on Sunday mornings, who's the audience? Who is, who is it that the service is built around? What's the goal of Sunday morning? And over the next two weeks, uh, I want to kind of expand that question and going, uh, what's the primary goal of the church as a whole? Not just on Sunday morning, but what is the overall goal? Like, what is it as a church that we? What's our purpose? what are What are we doing here? Is the primary goal evangelism? Is it, if that's the case, then we just we we build a Sunday morning to to just preach the gospel and and pray that people get saved, or is it something broader than that? Is it more into is it discipleship? And so we have to ask the question this over the next two weeks, and that's what I want to begin to answer: is what is the goal of even the church as a whole? Last week we looked at Acts chapter 2. So if you're there, I want to read the verses 41 through 47 real quick. What we talked about last week, and we'll jump forward. So in verse 41 of Acts 2, it says, And for those, so those who received his word, were baptized and they were added to that, that day about three thousand souls. So this is right after Pentecost here, Peter gets up, preaches a sermon, and that day it says that they have received that word. So when it says received his word, it's the it's a sermon that they heard. And it was uh, it was the gospel. They were baptized immediately, and they were added to that day about three thousand souls. Then verse forty two connects that so they they that just received and were baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship and the breaking of bread, and the and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Pray with me. Father, we do pray that as we, as Daniel prayed, as we open your word, God, that you will speak to us. God, we we understand that this morning we are 100% dependent upon you uh, to hear from you. So, God, we come this morning asking that you would speak. God, that as we open your word, as we begin to ask a question about... You know, what who the what the church is and what's the primary goal of the church and how you've designed it. God, I pray that you you allow us to see those things. Uh, God, that you allow us to believe those things. And God, that I do pray that if there's anyone in here this morning who who does not know you, that have not come into a saving knowledge of you. God, I pray that today your Holy Spirit will draw uh, them uh, and, and give them faith to believe, God, for, for the believer in here this morning. God, I pray that your word, your gospel sanctifies them. You use the words that come out of my mouth uh, to, to penetrate hearts, God, and that you would draw us closer to yourself. It's in Christ's name we pray, Amen. So last week when we read this passage, uh, we made three quick observations whenever this is what we would see the early church's Sunday morning worship service. And so we, we saw, made three observations last week that I want to make mention today because it kind of... Springboards us to where we 'll be uh, when we talk about community. The first observation we made from the early church in acts two forty one through forty seven uh, and, and talking about their worship services that the first thing was is that the service existed almost exclusively. Of believers, that the Sunday gathering, the worship service here, all, existed almost exclusively for believers. So don't write me off yet, but I just want you to see that. This is an observation that we see. Now, in 1 Corinthians, I think chapter 14, uh, uh, Paul makes mention, and he's talking about the order of the worship service. He, he makes mention of a group of people that he calls the outsiders, and that's not a derogatory term, uh, but he's saying that there will be, will be when the church is is assembled, when the church of Christ is assembled, there will be people who are not followers of Jesus that who will who will be there. And what Paul is telling them is that you need to be mindful of those people. Matter of fact, you need to be generous and welcoming. You want to make sure that the, the service is as clear as possible so there will be no confusion among the outsiders. But him by him using the word outsiders teaches us one main one main thing that. The, the 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 worship service the the Sunday morning worship service uh, shouldn't let me, let me say this like this shouldn't primarily be built around the outsider. Uh, It should be primarily built around those who are followers of Christ because that's not so listen as a church We are called to make disciples We're called to preach the gospel so that those who don't know the Lord could come to know faith in Jesus That is the mission one of the missions or the great commission is to make disciples, right? And so we understand that we want lost people people who are the outsiders to be here And when they come here, we want them to be loved and welcomed. And when they leave here, they may say, that preacher got all up in my business. I didn't really like him that much. But they cannot deny the way the church made them feel welcome. Like, that's kind of the game plan. We want that to happen. But when we look at the early church, it existed almost exclusively of believers. The second observation we made is that it did not serve, again, primarily for the individual pick-me-up. It wasn't that, oh, man, This week's been tough, so I just need to get there so that hopefully Justin has a good word for me, and I'll feel better about myself, and we'll be ready to go. I hope that they sing my favorite song, because I really need to hear my favorite song this morning. Uh, now, so remember, I said primarily, not that the, the, those things can't happen, but rather, the third observation was that there was, their worship service was an expression of the body life that had been lived out in the community, lived out in the lens of community through the week. That the followers of Jesus that through the week as they were walking with the Lord and they were fellowshiping with one another, that when they got together, they didn't have to be coerced into worship. They had to be coerced into filling the spirit, if you will. That that, that, That when they met together, it was an overflow of the body life on a weekly basis of the community that the gospel had created amongst these people. That when it came to church on Sunday morning, it was less about, oh, I can't wait to to get my fix, if you will, or my word. It was more about um, we're able to join together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. And we get to worship the name above every name, the, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We get to gather together this morning and worship our one true God together. This morning, I want to talk about this community that we see just Miraculously began to take place in Acts two. We're going to go. We're going to get to that in a minute. But and the reason why, and this is kind of where I'm going to say I'm going to try to talk slow. You know, when I get excited, I have to begin to talk fast. So, Fleet, if I get to go too fast, just tell me slow down. Right? All right. And so this morning, I want to try to take this slow because I want you to see that this isn't an idea of mine, and it is an idea of just Jared Wilson of the book that we're reading. That let me say it like this. I better read what I wrote down. The reason why I want us to talk about a gospel-driven community before we even talk about how that shapes what we actually do is because I think for most of us when we we don't connect when we think about the gospel, uh, there's a disconnection between the announcement of the gospel and the church. Uh, and so just that doesn't make sense. Uh, just follow with me that that when. When we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the preaching of the gospel, we don't think about the preaching of the gospel and the church as the bride of Christ in the same thought process. And what I hope to get to at the end of this sermon is that we understand that the the, the preaching of the gospel is its purpose is to create a bride of Christ. It is to there is isn't, like the church isn't just an implication of the gospel. It is the purpose of the gospel. It is it is, what the, it is the reason why the gospel is here. The reason why the gospel exists that we see is because God wanted to create, he wants to create himself a people. Yes. A people that, that, that have a community together that's built upon the gospel. Listen to me, I'll say it again. The gospel, I mean, the, the church isn't just implication of the gospel. It is the purpose of the gospel. The reality is we have a desire for Community. We were created for it. We were created to have fellowship with our creator and our fellow creatures. We long for it. Many times we'll do whatever we have to do to find it or keep it. Yet the the tension is that everything in this world points and directs our hearts to the individual. And we're not discipled in the right direction to fulfill our need for community in healthy ways. Oftentimes we begin to seek to satisfy that longing in in unfulfilling or dysfunctional ways. And I think all of us can probably say, yeah, been there before. Everything around us enhances self-dependence and, and puts, us, puts us as a star of the show. When you, when, you, when, you, when you look at mainstream media and all the, the help books that are out in our culture, what we do is we swim in a sea of individualism that's aimed uh, to meet our needs and to fill our, consumic, our consumeristic hearts. But what happens when the church begins to mirror that model of the world and create a place of individualism? That's the question we have to ask. If if, if that's what we are bombarded with, if we're designed for community, yet we are taught the, the, the most important person in the world is your happiness and your success and your being, what happens if the church begins to mirror that model and all we do is foster an individualistic type Christianity? That's the question that we begin to ask here. What happens is we begin to lose sight of the purpose of the gospel. We see the gospel as personal only, and there's nothing wrong. This is true, what I'm about to say. We begin to say things specifically like that Christ died to forgive me and to save me and redeem me, which is, which is true, but it's not the full scope of the gospel And when the church constantly preaches individualism or fosters individualism apart from the full scope of the gospel, that Jesus died to save a people, then we lose sight of what the Bible actually teaches about the church. When we lose sight of what the gospel actually creates, then we lose sight of God's design and purpose for salvation. And what happens is, and this is where the rubber is eroded, church becomes just a component of my life rather than the vital center of it that then the church becomes like, man, a big deal. If, church, if Sunday morning, if the church as a body is just simply for my individualistic experience, then I can choose not to go today or not. And it's just a component of my life and everything else, and not the vital, a vital center of it. We lo- begin to lose our commitment that the Bible, what the Bible calls us to. We begin to preach a cheap grace that has low buy-in and no commitment to Christ, to his word, or his body. We forget to teach what the Bible teaches on community and the commitment to the body. Church becomes rather optional because we don't see the importance of the commitment to the body. And then we begin asking questions when we do develop actual community. How, how, how are we to do it? And what is it? Or are our community groups or small groups now actually serving the purpose that God has designed them to serve? Or are they just like any other group in society? So this morning, what I want us to see, I know it's a lot of questions, and I promise that it's very slow for me this morning. I want to, the Holy Spirit's kind of just kind of keeping me back for a moment, or something is. So what I want us to see this morning, I want to see is three things. Three things that I want to try to make absolutely clear this morning before we go further. Number one is that the gospel creates community. The gospel, listen to me, creates community. The second thing is that the gospel instructs community. That's a positive sense. What I was going to say is that the the gospel demands community or commands community, but you may not like the negative tone of that, so I use the word instructs. Uh, So the gospel instructs community. And the third one is that the gospel enables community. Number one. The gospel creates community. When we read through the scriptures, and I say read through the scriptures is because that's what we have to read. That's where we get these things from. We don't get it from something else. But it says, what, what we, when we read the scripture, what we come to understand is that the gospel has the power to take enemies and make them friends. And the gospel has the power to take strangers and make them family. The gospel has the power to take different races and make them one. The gospel has the power to make many men and women one. Peter says like this in chapter two, he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Check out verse 10. Check how the people and mercy are connected. Peter says, once you are not a people... You were walking around, you were not a people. You were individuals, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once before mercy came into your life, before before you received mercy, you were not a people, but now because of mercy, you are now a people. Nowhere can we see this any clearer than Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, what we just read. I, want you, I just want to kind of maybe very quickly, I will go quick at this point, show you the miraculous event that happened right here. Obviously, the miraculous event is that the, the Holy Spirit came down at Pentecost, and, 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 and with the, the gospel begins to be spread out into different native languages and, and things like that. Like that's a miraculous thing, but let me show you the, the, the fruit of that miracle. So, he says this in verse 41, that those who were received were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let me tell you a little bit about this 3,000 plus people. The reason why they were there to hear this sermon that Peter preached is because they had come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Uh, so technically, this was some three thousand people that were, were Jews that were, were they were from different places around the world that had come in. As a matter of fact, in Acts two five, it says that this that now they were dwelling now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So get that context here. There were these people, these Jews that that came from all over the world that came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. That's what was going on before this day they probably didn't really know each other other than the people that had traveled to Jerusalem with them. For the most part, they were strangers. In your mind, you may say, well, they were all Jews. And I would say, that's like saying all Americans know each other and like each other. Uh, And so they were, it just doesn't add up. So for the most part, this 3,000 plus people didn't really know one another. They weren't family But in one day, in one moment, after hearing one sermon, they repented, believed, were baptized, they were justified, they were given the Holy Spirit, and immediately there was a bond of love that caused them to sell everything they had to make sure that everybody else had what they needed. How? How could total strangers... Commit to something. They didn't even go back home. What is it that made these people who were strangers become family? How could this happen? They, and the answer is the gospel. The gospel creates community. When we're saved, we are saved to a fellowship. And that fellowship is marred by sacrificial love and commitment to one another. Entrance, and listen to me, here's, here's the good news of the gospel. And say, say, Justin, this, this church talk is really weird. Here's, here's something really encouraging for you this morning. Entrance into this community is not based on your accolades or your accomplishments. Anyone who is redeemed and has believed in the finished work of Christ, has full access into this community. The gospel creates the church. The church isn't just an implication of the gospel. It isn't, oh, I'll become a believer now. I guess I'll choose to join up with other like-minded people. No, this is the point. The point of the good news is that God is forming a people for his glory and for the good of mankind. In Titus chapter 2, verse 14, uh, we've read this verse a lot lately, but it says, uh, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and check this, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. Check Check that second part. Why did Jesus give himself? It was to redeem us from our lawlessness, but it was also to purify for himself a people. You cannot separate the work of the gospel just in an individual manner, that when Jesus died, yes, it was to save the individual, but it was to take that individual and make him a part of a people, to, to connect him to a group of uh, 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 what he called the church. This is why Christ died, uh, there would be a people for his own possession. Later on in Titus, we read this in chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. It says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved. Check out the, the plurality of these words that he's not saying, and he saved me. It's not because of the work that I've done, but check this. He said, He has saved who? Us. Not because of works done by us and righteous, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The, listen to me. This is where I, I hope that we will get to, to understanding that the gospel It has to be understood within the storyline of Scripture. And so that may sound off the wall, but if if you were to read through the Bible, what you would see is that, that God, our Creator, is a covenant God. He's always been about the first one if you want to go with Adam. He, he he said God he creates Adam to be an image bearer. And obviously Adam failed miserably at that. We understand that that Adam felt miserably about him, but it was all about God's glory being known and his his majesty being seen across the face of the earth. And Adam and Eve, they failed miserably. And then there was a guy named Abram who God made a covenant with and, and he says, Among you I will you know your descendants will be like the sand of the shore. There I will I'll I will spread my glory upon this earth through this covenant that I'm making with you. And then we see it through David. And what we see is that over and over again that that covenant, man couldn't live up to his side of the covenant. And so then we get to the New Testament, we begin to hear about a new covenant. And that new covenant, that it would be different because Ezekiel, he, he talks about how how the old covenant was written uh, to man. It was written something man had to be to be able to do on his own, but then what we read in Ezekiel is that this new covenant won't be written to man, it would be written in man, that it would it'd be written on their hearts. It wouldn't be something that they would have to do on their own, but something crazy would happen that God would take their heart of stone out and place in a heart of flesh and place a spirit with them and it would cause them to be regenerated and be born again, and, and that this new covenant would be dependent upon God's finished work through Christ. But what you see is that from start to finish, God has always been about his glory on the earth through a group of people who he's covenanted himself to. So when we talk about the gospel, we talk about the good news, it isn't just this individual, listen to me, I'm a piece of God's greater plan to spread His glory among the, to the nations through His people called the church. So when I come here on Sunday mornings to meet with my brothers and sisters in Christ, it ain't about me anyway, because I'm a small piece of the puzzle. Oh, but when the gospel saves us, we, I, I want us to begin to see that the gospel being preached, and we say gospel driven, and we don't separate that from, from, from the church of Christ. No, the gospel is preached so the church of Christ begins to be born and to grow. And that is God's plan for the church. Preaching the good news apart from the church it's like saying congratulations that the adoption papers have been signed but the family's not there. The good news is not just in that the adoption happens but that we get to see the entire picture. The gospel doesn't just tell us that the adoption papers have been signed. It gives us the whole picture that we were once an orphan but now we're part of a family. The gospel forms family. Family. And to not love this family, quite frankly, is to be anti-biblical and anti-Christian. You can't hate the church of Christ and love Jesus at the same time. PJ Week said this a few years ago. He said saying that you can you can you can love Christ but not his church is like telling a man you love him but hate his wife. It ain't, that relationship ain't gonna work out too well. Listen, the gospel creates community, why? Because that's God's design in the gospel. Jesus died not just to save me, but to save we, us. And us, the we, is, he's called, he's saved us to be zealous for good works, for his Glory. So, the gospel creates community. Number two, and I'll be moving forwards, the gospel instructs community. Or if you're more like me and you like people to speak stern to you, the gospel commands community. How can I know that? Because if you read through the Bible, you see over and over again what is known as the one another passages. Sometime this year, we're going to do a series through the one another's through the New Testament. Over a hundred times in the Bible do we see one another together. Ninety-four times are in the New Testament. Forty-seven of these are instructions that are given to the church. Paul wrote sixty percent of the one another commands that we see in the scriptures. One third of them are connected to unity. He says to be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind of one another, accept one another, wait for one another when you're taking the Lord's Supper, do not devour one another, don't envy one another, but tolerate one another with patience, be kind to one another, forgive one another, bear one another, seek the good of one another, don't complain against one another, confess your sins to one another. A third of them are connected to to loving one another. We see many times throughout the New Testament where we're called to love one another, to serve one another, to greet one another, it says actually with a brotherly kiss. And so maybe we, we can bring that back. But it says to be devoted to one another. 15% of the, of the one another commands uh, talk about the humility among the believers. Why would the writers spend so much time talking about the one another's of the church? Because the gospel creates community and so there's a lot of time spent through the new testament of our one another of life together it instructs us to live with one another to do life with one another oh you're having hardship well be patient with one another forgive one another welcome one another It's over and over again in Romans chapter 15, which is one of the, I guess, for definitely in the context of what we're talking about now, is one of the, I guess, most evident things that we can see in these one another's, in this this instruction to community. Verse 1 of chapter 15 of Romans says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And check out verse 3. This is why I say it is the gospel instructs this and the gospel creates this. Verse 3, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who have reproached him fell on me. For whatever is written in former days is written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together with, you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another. Check this out. Remember, the gospel instructs and it creates, welcome one another as Christ as has welcomed you to the glory for the glory of God. Notice a pattern here in verse 3, and watch how the one another, that he tells us to welcome one another, it starts with the gospel. In verse 3, he tells us what Christ did to save us. In verse 5, he ascribes God the credit in, our grac- in this graciousness, implying that the gospel truth drives us to experience what follows when he says in verse 5 that you can live in such harmony. That you can together worship with one voice to glorify God. And there's a gracious community that begins to be formed when it says, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. What we see is that the gospel creates community and it instructs community. The plural language that we see through scriptures when it says we and us and the one another's, it indicates that it is. To be expected that God commands, that God has designed that those who have placed their faith in him, those who the gospel has justified and is sanctifying and one day will glorify, that it is to be expected that their life will be connected to other people who are followers of Jesus as well. It instructs community. It creates community. Number three. And I'll close with this one. The gospel empowers community. Not only does the gospel create community, not only does the gospel instruct us towards community, but it empowers the actual community that it instructs us to live. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, <clears throat> that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. We just read in Romans 15:7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, Bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive one another. Philippians 2, 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And I want to finish by reading John 1 John chapter 4, 7 through 11. The gospel empowers community. Verse seven. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And check this out. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Do you know what John is writing there? The fruit of being born of God is that you love God and you love his people. Those who have been, what does this say? And let us love one another. So the one another's is the church, right? Not, obviously we're called to love the outsider, but specific, specifically here, John is talking about the church. Let us love one another for, why? Because love is from God, And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So what is the the fruit of birth, of new birth? A, that you love God, but you love one another. Being born again, regeneration empowers community. It empowers a deep love for one another. It is a fruit of being born again. Continue reading verse eight. It says, anyone who does not, Love does not know God because God is loved pause there for a moment anyone who doesn't love they they don't know God (laughs) why because God is love verse 9 in this love in this in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him in this is love Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he has sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The gospel creates community. It instructs community. Oh, but thanks be to God, it also empowers the community. We are those who love have been born of God. That's why we can't separate the preaching of the gospel and the church and the bride of Christ because in the preaching of the gospel is when new birth happens. And in new birth, there is a, there's a community that is developed among those who have placed their faith in Christ. And again, Philippians says, it is God who works in you both to to will and to work for his good pleasure. Here's the good news this morning is that God supplies what God commands. God supplies what God commands. And what I want, my heart this morning, if I have one heart, one thought process this morning, is that that you and I will begin to see the church not in an individual lens, but in a corporate lens. In a bigger picture than it's bigger than just me. And that this this, this awesome gift that we have to assemble with one another. And I don't, I don't, there's brothers and sisters around the Christ that don't have. This blessing. And I don't, use, I don't even go down there, but what I want to say is that, as scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of one another. That, I mean, there's something supernatural when the body of Christ is together in meeting. Hey, if COVID told me anything, it is to, to be oh so thankful for the regular meeting of the body of Christ to worship corporately. And I didn't have time to even go through the the many members, one body thing that Paul lays out for us, right? I didn't have time to go through that. And, you know, Paul gives the imagery of if one part of the body isn't working properly, then the rest of the body feels. Like I want us to begin thinking in those terms when we talk, when we think about the body of Christ. Like that that's the that's the picture, that's what the gospel creates. It creates a place, of, creates a, a people that's one body. Many members, one body, but that's what the gospel creates. It instructs and it enables. Next week, when we come back, we'll begin to talk about how discipleship flows from. A community that the gospel creates, instructs, and empowers. And we will hopefully answer the question, what's the main purpose of the church? Is it just to make converts or is it to make disciples? Is the primary mission field, the primary place of evangelism, is it in this room or is it outside these walls? Parad- we begin to shift paradigms. And if the main mission, if the main place of evangelism is outside these walls, then this place better be beefed up in discipleship to make disciples to go make converts and more disciples. We begin to shift things, right? Hey, if you're you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, this whole thing about being a part of the church and and things like that, Slate of mine, a weird place. Can you? Okay, good. I forgot we have a camera back there that's following me. I'm still not new to that. I'm I'm definitely not a 2021 pastor. Don't pay attention to the camera. That's not because I don't love you if you're following us at home, but anyway, if you don't know the Lord this morning, man, I've got some great, great news for you. There's a God who's perfect, holy, righteous, sufficient within himself, he doesn't get lonely. He 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 doesn't have a mental breakdown or identity crisis. He is at perfect unity within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. He never gets bored. He created man, and that purpose was for man to be an image bearer upon this earth. And we failed at that miserably. The Bible says that through one man being Adam, the sinner in the world, and from that one man, now all are born sinful. Through one man, sin entered. Through one man, all men die. But the story doesn't end there because through the Old Testament, we see this covenant storyline begin to build where God's relating to people through people. And he begins to pray. He has this picture of Adam. Then there's this picture of Abraham of, of faith. There's a guy of faith. And there's a picture of David, this guy who was who sit upon a throne. But David felt more miserably as well. And then one day there was a guy who actually wasn't just a guy. He was actually the God man. His name was Jesus. It was the very son, he was the very son of God. He came down, and he fulfilled the faith of Abraham. He fulfilled, he listened to me, he is the perfect king that David couldn't be. And well, here's crazy, you ready? When God made a covenant with Adam, when he made a covenant with Abraham, even with David, There was a thing, there was a responsibility of the human to be able to fulfill their their part. Yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't uphold it because they kept sinning, right? But Jesus came in and not only was he the perfect one but he was also a substitute. He lived a substitutionary life. He lived the life that Adam couldn't. He lived the life that Abraham couldn't. He lived the life that David couldn't. He lived the life that I couldn't and you couldn't because listen, this, we are sinful yet he is not. He, he not only, listen to me, not only did he die a death that we should die, but he lived, he lived a substitutionary life completely fulfilling the demands of the law all the way to the point of death. And then he died. They placed him in a tomb and three days later he rose again and now he he says that he scripture says he's ascended, he's right hand in the Father, and that all who call upon him can be saved and will be saved if we yet just have faith and accept and rest in his finished work, his substitutionary work, his substitutionary life, death, and his resurrection. So, just that seems simple. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scripture, he was buried and he was raised again. And that's the gospel, Paul, Peter, Paul says that you receive. We received that this morning? Will you trust in that? Hey, child of God. Hey, and, here's, and I, I'm not trying to sell Jesus by selling you his body, his bride, but I will tell you this. <laughs> One of the awesome things about becoming a follower of Jesus is that you get connected to a people to do life with. And what you'll see is that inside Christ there is a whole community of people who will walk with you hand in hand, who will pray for you, who will lift you up, who will encourage you, and hopefully what well, we haven't talked about community is that there's accountability in community, but they will hold you accountable and things like that. So I invite you this morning to trust in Jesus, child of God. This morning. May we, I know I, may we confess of our apathy towards the bride that Jesus died to create. And I'm not saying that you have to have perfect attendance. We're not going to start doing attendance rosters. That's not what we're about. It's here. It's my mind. It's my heart. It's what I think about the bride of Christ. May we repent of that. May we thank God for his bride. As beaten up and as messy as she may be, she is the bride of Christ. She is who Jesus died to create. And we're a part of that. Oh, may we not forsake her. I'm gonna ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. I'm gonna ask you, follower of Christ, this morning to pray now for, for God to move that God would continue to stir our hearts. God, that this, and we pray, I ask that you pray that, that we will see what the gospel's created, that we will adhere to his instructions, to, to the one and and that we will rely on its power. That God would give us a greater love for his church. The, the front will be open. If you want to move forward and pray for God to continue to move if there's things that you need to just deal with and do business with the Lord to put a churchy term on it and you're welcome to come down here in front and make this an altar I'll be standing down here by Ashley you move as the Lord responds Father we love you We thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. God, we thank you for the community it creates and instructs and it enables. God, grow our love for your people. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.